welcome. Welcome. Uh, I want to I wanna welcome all the guests to, uh, to our service. We're, I'm excited that you're here. My name's Danny. I'm one of the pastors. And uh, we're in a series right now called Paper Airplanes. And I'm going to jump into that in just a minute. Uh, something that is different about this particular service right now, because uh, for anybody that uh, could be watching this online, we are for the first time recording this service, but I don't want you to get used to it. Do not get used to it because this service is not going to be recorded on a regular basis because this is the wild, wild west. This is where we try stuff. We can't, we can't let those Sunday morning folk into how this all works out on Thursday. But, uh, but as you know, there, there very well could be a snowstorm this weekend. And there could be a bunch of folks watching uh, me right now at home um, from the comforts of their, their beds with a hot, you know, cup of coffee and uh, just, just wondering how in the world we pulled this off. It's because we, we came in early to sacrifice for you. You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. So anyways, uh, I'm glad you guys are here. Uh, let me jump in. Uh, this series is all really about creativity from a spiritual perspective. We had this opening uh, statement last week that the creator created us to create. And this series has kind of run out that idea uh, to, its, to its fullest length around this idea that God has put inside every person in this room, creativity of mind, creativity of purpose, creativity of, of, of skill, and all other different uh, spectrums of creativity so that we could bring those things to him and experience him, bring glory to him, connection with him, and so forth. And so uh, last week we had a blast. We uh, threw about a thousand airplanes in here and nobody lost an eye, not a single eye complaint. Uh, we definitely had some people say we should have used lighter paper, but no, at Kessid, we go full tilt. That's how we do it. We were, we were going for missiles, uh, but it was, it was a lot of fun. And so thank you guys for, uh, for participating in that. Uh, this week, if you're at our in-person service, you, when you walked in, there was someone who would have met you at the door with a basket. And in that basket would have been a whole bunch of uh, small Lego pieces. This is the one right here that I have. Uh, if you have that, I would like for you just to look at it for just a second. And I would like to you, for you to look at all the different aspects of it. It's pretty unique. It's kind of different. Uh, it's pretty small. And all in all, if we were just going to be straight up honest, that Lego piece uh, just by itself is pretty boring. There's really not a, a lot to them. There, some of you I saw had wheels. Some had just bricks like me. Some had windows and other such things. But the, the pieces by themselves uh, are, are kind of boring. And as a matter of fact, when you really break down Legos, and I'm a huge fan, so I'm speaking from some experience, the pieces by themselves are, are pretty bland. They're just yellow plastic bricks and red plastic bricks and little wheels and little people and so forth. And that's why I think Legos are so profound when we look at them from a creative perspective because Legos are a toy that children have to do all the work to play with. You have to do something with it in order for it to ignite your creativity. And my wife and I have taken that challenge very serious. This is a picture of my wife's current Christmas village. Um, about, I want to say six years ago, maybe, um, this image that's going to come up here in just a second, uh, is, uh, maybe no. Okay. Uh, we have a Christmas village at our house. 
full of uh, Legos that are built in homes. And every year my wife gets a different one. She gets a different home in a different way. And she uh, builds this Christmas village. Like people buy the porcelain ones or other such things. She buys a Christmas village and then she takes time to put them together. And eventually she got a train track and then she got a moving train. And this year she went all out and got like snow for the table and then built her Christmas village that she had collected for all these years. And and it, it was epic. It was just this, uh, yeah, there it is. There it is. This, uh, this has been built just over the last few years and uh, she continues to add to it. It's a really, really neat thing that she does. And, and I want to say that I, because I watched every single year it fall apart as we would put it in storage and have to rebuild it. I, this year, went to the store and bought a bunch of plastic bins and now we store each Christmas village already put together so we don't have to actually play with the Legos anymore every year. We can take them out of their perfect bin, set them on the table and stand back and watch. And as an adult, I enjoy it very much. Now, as you might imagine, this Christmas village is a problem whenever we have children over to our home. This is Kavena Geisen. And Kavena is eight years old and she is Chandra and Kabika's daughter. And she uh, came over to our house recently with the Christmas village. And my wife was very kind in her very aunt-like way. And she was like, hey, everybody, we have toys over in the corner that you can play with, including a whole bunch of Legos, bags and bags of Legos. But this particular Christmas village really isn't for, for much more than looking at. And everybody, all the kids went, okay, and they walked off. And I didn't know this happened. So then Kavena eventually sees me over by the Christmas village and she comes up to me and she goes, hey, can I play with this? And I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, can I play with it? And she was, there was a serious intenseness to it. And I was like, sure. And then that little girl dove in, moved all the ladies around in the pieces, the cars. Like she, I looked over, she was like shooting. There's no guns in Lego, right? She's like, pew, pew, pew. like she played with the Lego village as it was intended, which was beautiful. And my wife actually was endearing for her and so forth. But what I realized is that children are just better at it than us. And as much as we want to collect, as much as we want to view, as much as we want to stand back, when it comes to actually engaging our imaginations and creativity and using things as they're intended, we as adults, after a while, forget or just purposely seem to turn that part of our minds off. Could it be that in much the same way we as adults have lost our ability to delight not just in little plastic bricks, but in little black and white verses? Could it be that you're actually supposed to read this like a Lego village? You're supposed to stand back and be like, ooh, ooh, I wonder what that's like if I was to take that thought and I was to mix it into that. Oh, I don't, I like, all of a sudden you're in the Bible and you're like, pew, 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 right? Like, what if you engage this? <laughs> There's no guns in the Bible. Are you sure? I mean, what if, what if you were supposed to engage this with that part of your spirit, with that part of your mind's eye, with that part of who you are that God has built in you? And because you don't, and because I don't, that's why for so long, it's just an object on a stand that we point to and say, this is a really beautiful book, but it's just for us to stand back and look at, not actually engage with? What if creativity needs to be turned upside down in all of our lives, inside of our, our stories, inside of every area that we call 
good and that God has asked us to awaken. I wonder if many of us are building spiritual lives like that. I wonder. I wonder if you can experience it in what we would call, uh, you know, if we're being honest, adult, the closest thing to adult Legos right now would be Ikea furniture, in my opinion. (laughs) And who here is like, yes, I'm so excited to put together this cabinet. And yet really, that's the closest thing to adult Legos. It comes with instructions. You're creating something. It comes in a big plastic bag or a box with tiny little pieces. And we, we see it as a burden. I wonder whether it be through triumphs or traumas like Lego pieces or Ikea pieces, each being attached and connected to the next one, we eventually complete a set or create a lifestyle, regularly repeating mantras with that mindset like, well, that's just life or that's just the hand you've been dealt. What are you going to do? Those are the pieces of your story. Yep, me too and so on. And like Lego sets or Ikea furniture, those lifestyles can come in many different varieties. I don't know if you knew this or not. Uh, This is an image of the smallest Lego set ever sold. (laughs) I don't even know how they're calling that a set, but but that's the smallest Lego set ever sold. Uh, One of the largest Lego sets ever sold would be the Eiffel Tower, which has 10,001 pieces. Oh, somebody's excited about the Eiffel Tower Lego set that... That was it. That's what you came to church for. And there it is. Some of these may represent the different lives in this room. Some have very simple lives, very, 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 if you could call it uh, lives that that are just kind of uh, straightforward and other lives are incredibly complex. Now, they could also be looked at this way. Some of us are living just standard halves to cabinet type lives. (laughs) While others are, again, a bit more eclectic. If you ever want to just have fun, uh, I think it's on maybe Pinterest or a few other websites. You can go and see what people have done with ordinary IKEA furniture that they then turn into uh, different IKEA furniture. I think I have a comparative image of the two. These are the same cabinets just used in different ways. Choosing to build something different takes creativity. Choosing to see your life is not just something that's passed down from the generation before you is, well, that's just what us Clintons do. That's just what us fill in the last name do. When it comes to especially failure or struggle or, or uh, uh, the ability to, to accomplish things that, that you're dreaming about, but no one before you ever did it. So, you know, maybe that's just not in your genes, as we say. But choosing to build a life that's different that takes creativity. I would even say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step out here. I would even say, uh, without creativity, you can't just pray your way into a better life. You can't just be like, hey, God, here's the thing. I want to, to be a better husband, and, and I, want, I want to cherish my wife more. And so can you just, like, can you just download that? Can you just make that happen? I'm going to go to sleep. If you could just do like a hard reset, I'd love to just wake up with new software. <laughs> I think you have to actually see your marriage, see your parenting, see your outlook in every area from this creative spiritual standpoint that the creator created you to create a better marriage. The creator created you to create a better 
relationship with your child. The creator created you to create a better understanding of God's word. We could go on and on and on. And I think a lot of times people walk in wounded and especially in church, they come in and they have questions and they have concerns. And we're like, you know what you should do? You should just pray your way out of it. When really what we ought to be teaching them is to realize the value of creation that the creator created within them that they should be accessing in order to see the life he's already offering to them from the beginning. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. Now all the, now all the Sunday people are going to come to Thursday. That's just not, <laughs> that's not fair at all. The truth is, whether simple or complex, our lives are meant to be fulfilling and purposeful. And maybe that needs to happen first with our spiritual creative posture. Now, Running this illustration out, I want us to look at a well-known story in the Bible. I wanted to take the most, one of the most known, uh, you could say in a sense, not creative stories in the Bible, stories we've all heard of uh, things that Jesus did and then kind of look at it from this perspective and from this idea of what it would look like to decide to build a different life with a different perspective. This is a story in real time that gives us a glimpse into how Jesus helps someone who desires to build a new and entirely different life. And that story is the story of the woman caught in adultery. If you have a Bible, it's John chapter eight. We're gonna start in verse one. Verses will be on the screen if you'd like to follow along. It says, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? And I'm not gonna run off on a tangent here, but in that law, you're also supposed to stone such men, but it's really interesting that he doesn't appear to be in the story anywhere. This and that, not very creative. So he, they say to him, what do you say? This they said to test him that he might have some charge to bring against him. And I believe right here there was a pause and Jesus looked at them and Jesus looked at the woman and Jesus looked at them. <laughs> and then Jesus decided to do something from this perspective, really creative. He decided not to say anything and instead bend down on the ground and start drawing on it with his finger. Now, from a creative perspective, with this concept and reading the scripture, isn't that a fascinating picture of Jesus teaching people through what we believe could be words, what we could believe could be an image? We, no one knows absolutely what it was that he wrote. What we know is that they, in their minds, most likely were reminded of another time that the finger of God wrote with his finger. In Exodus chapter 31, 18, the people are following Moses out into the desert and God is about to give them guidance. They are a nation of slaves. They have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of slave mentality. Their fathers, 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 fathers were slaves. There is nothing creative about how these people think. They wake up to pain, they go to bed to pain, they, they were treated like livestock and the lowest of the low. And so they don't have any sort of mindset around building a new life. 
And so it says in Exodus chapter 31, verse 18, and he gave to Moses when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai, the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. Now, these scribes, these people that would have brought this woman to him, they would have known this is like probably one of the most powerful images of God interacting with his people. And it's writing, once again. And there's, an, there's all kinds of stuff that, you can, that we could unpack inside the Ten Commandments. Like this idea that uh, the Jewish scholars believed the Ten Commandments were two tablets copied the same. It wasn't two different tablets like Charlton Heston held up. It was two tablets copied front and back with five on one side and five on the other because that's how contracts worked at this time. One was given to you and one was kept by me and God gave them both. The scholars also believe that when God wrote on the one tablet, he was also writing at the same time on the back of the tablet. And that's why if you were to break down the Ten Commandments, you can actually see how one and six tie and two and seven tie and three and on and on and on. It's this beautiful, beautiful picture. They would have known all this. And so he, he does this before them. But here's what I want you to understand about the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are pulling apart the ways and rhythms of this people group's old lives. The, 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 the ways they would have thought about life from their slave and bondage perspective. And it's pulling it apart and reconstructing it back together so they could build brand new identities. That's the beauty of the Ten Commandments. He's like, hey, here's the deal. Don't murder and don't steal your neighbor's wife. And, so they, and they were like, okay, that makes sense to us. I guess we won't do that. He was building a structure for them so that they could live. But I want you to notice where all this happens, where the commandments are actually handed over to Moses. Exodus 20, verse 18. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off. And they said to Moses, you will speak, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, do not fear God for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. And then it gives a description of Moses going in to this area to receive the 10 commandments. And it says, the people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Notice that it was inside the thick darkness that the, the, the dismantling words of God were handed to the man Moses and so then to the people that Moses was asked to lead within the thick darkness. To dismantle something is to uncover something's inside for inspection. That's what it means to be dismantled. And that's what God was doing to this entire nation. He was dismantling this bondage. He was dismantling this mindset that they weren't enough. He was saying, you are chosen. He was mantling them or covering them with his presence. But in order to receive that from God, Moses had to move into the place of thick darkness. This is what God is doing in them. And I believe what Jesus is now doing with this woman and her accusers. Now place yourself back in the story with the crowd of hate-filled stoneholders and the woman standing accused and inadequate in front of Jesus. John 8, verse 7. And as they continued to ask him, because apparently he just kept drawing, they're like, Jesus, what do you want to do with her? And he's like, hold on, can you scooch over for a second? I'm going to go around this again. Then Jesus says to them, after he stood up, 
Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more, listen, he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. I love that he was on the ground writing with his finger for so long that they called him out of it, that he stood up and talked to them. And then before they even responded, I believe he was like, I got stuff to create. And back down he went. I wonder what the rocks that they dropped might represent. I think in my own life, this is me reflecting on my journey with God. I think that they are the touchable representations of my own excuses and defenses. They are the reasons I hold sacred that keep me above others and separate from God. They are the stuff that I say, you aren't enough, you aren't worth it, and I'm going to make sure everybody knows. John 8 and 9a say, but when they heard it, they went away one by one, and then it adds this little caveat, beginning with the older ones. Let me just say that those who are young will wrestle most with this message because you are yet to realize just how much self-justification permeates your life. That's why the earlier stones, as a middle-aged man, I'm starting to, to own, I got a lot more in my pockets than I thought I did. When I was younger, I always saw other people's stones throwing at me. The older I get, the more stones I'm noticing. Any other older-ish folks starting to notice more stones, the more ways that you're able to just quickly look at someone and be like, "Mm mm-mm, not gonna happen. I wonder what Jesus would do in my presence when I'm like that. I wonder what he would write on the ground in order to look up into my eyes and say, hey, Danny, go ahead and toss it. Just make sure you're tossing it from a perfect place filled with love and patience and kindness. And I'm like, I'm just gonna set this down at the... And I, and I love that it's the older folks that went first. So let me just say, let's get really personal for a minute. Uh, there's a lot in church culture right now that lends towards young people. Um, there's a lot in church culture right now that lends towards youth and that creativity belongs there and that what's trendy is young and that what, therefore what's important is young. And I'm just here to say, I just think that's really garbage theology. And I think the church is desperately needing older people who are willing to recognize all the styles may not fit, all the stuff may not work. You've probably not had a lot of sermons given by a pastor with knuckle tattoos, and I respect that. (laughs) But the truth of it is the gospel is supposed to be transitioned and passed down. But if the older folks aren't willing to come into the churches where sometimes the sound's a little too loud, then I don't know what's going to happen to the church. Our job is to continue to move the spirit with the spirit of God intergenerationally. And I think this is a beautiful, creative picture of the older folks teaching the younger folks. This man just taught us a lesson. My stones are going to drop. And that just because you're young doesn't mean your creativity is the bomb and you know all that there is to know about what's hot. I mean, a lot of these people out here grew up in the 70s. I mean, stop, just stop. (laughs) You have no idea what your grandma did. You have no idea. You just don't understand. And she is never going to tell you. (laughs) Uh, This is why mentors are really important. You just simply don't know what you don't know. So thank you for being a church that that, uh, doesn't have everything you want, but is willing to hold the gospel in an intergenerational way. It says next, 
This is what happens next. This is, I think, the crux of this particular story. It says next that Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. She was standing before him, which means he was still doodling. That's a, lot of, that's a lot of doodling that Jesus did here between doodling, responding, standing up, doodling again, and then doodling enough that everybody left and he's still in the dirt. It says this, Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? <laughs> Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. And then he uses this phrase, go and from now on sin no more. Now we know that this woman, it's impossible like it would be impossible for any of us to sin literally no more before she moves into eternity. But what Jesus is speaking to is this invitation to go and build a brand new life. Leave your bondage mindset, your slavery mindset, leave what you thought you were, that you weren't important, that you weren't valuable, that you weren't enough, leave all of that behind and find your value in the one who designed you, who created you to create. I wanna really allow that moment to soak in. For there she is standing alone, feeling exposed and incomplete before Christ. As he speaks to her, the same that God gave to Moses, words that would bring life to a nation, go and build a different purpose. And so my question is, for Jesus and this woman, could this place she's at be another picture of thick darkness? Could, could the creativity that we're asking for, for God to free us in our minds and, and in our hearts and in our bondage, could the creation that he wants to bring forth not happen in any other way, but when we are willing to stand in his presence, not point at him like the nation did and said, pastor, go get it. Uh, worship song, go get it. Self-help book, go get it. You go talk to God and I'll listen. What if we're supposed to hear from the words of God in the thick darkness, whether that's Moses walking in to receive the words or that woman standing literally standing amidst stones that were intended to murder her and Jesus before her with nothing but dust on his finger this is who our God is this is what he does he takes the world's stones and the world's plans and the world's stuff and he says to her, and I wanna say that he stepped out of the way and whatever he created on the ground, I'd love to think she saw it and she knew and she saw the dust on his fingers and she realized that the God who made man and woman out of dust in the first place was willing once again out of the dust of her life to make something completely and totally brand new. Yeah. Your life and mine, it's not about not sinning anymore. It's not about perfection. It's about getting time with Jesus, even when the stones of persecution and judgment and disease and pride and arrogance and addiction and all those other things are still scattered through our lives. It's about looking into the eyes of Jesus and say, Jesus, I believe that you are the creator and that you created me to create. And that with your presence, I can build a life like I've never had before. And I believe some of you, the thick darkness that you're in right now is a beautiful gift and that you need to not try and run from it, but instead you need to sit in it and stay in it and ask him, God, where are your words for me? This could be the place that God communes with us the most.
the place God wants to start creating something beautiful with our lives in spite of whatever it is we feel is missing. Um, this series on creativity, I knew I wanted to use an illustration. I have used it, Kessid, many times, and I'm going to use it again because of a lot of growth and because we have a lot of new families and people that, that I think uh, would be blessed by it. And for others, I, I know it'll be review, but I, I hope it reminds you of, of the beauty that God can create with your story and mine. But I just can't think of a better illustration to pull us into the way God wants to move inside of our lives than this one. Uh, in 1975, there was a young German woman by the name of Vera Brandis. And Vera had convinced uh, the Cologne Opera House to host a late night jazz concert by American musician Keith Jarrett. She had actually found out that Keith was traveling through Europe and she had wrote letters and she had, a, she had put a lot of work in and, and he finally just totally random agreed to show up to her concert. She was the youngest concert promoter in Germany. 1,400 people bought tickets when they heard that Keith was coming. Just a few hours before the concert was due to begin, Vera was introducing Keith to the piano that had been provided. And it was the wrong one. The piano had harsh, tinny upper registers. Black notes were sticking. The pedals didn't work. And there were even missing and broken keys. And so he sat at the piano and he looked at Vera and he said, I'm really sorry, but... The wrong piano's been delivered, and I can't play for you. And so he went out into his car and waited for another. Vera called and called and called. She could find no one to deliver the proper piano. And so she did finally get a hold of a piano tuner. And the piano tuner went through the piano the best he could, tuning the, the, the keys that were there, and then said, that's all that I can do. And so Vera went out into the rain, the story goes, outside the window of Keith and his car, and begged him to come back and play the unplayable piano anyways. Uh, he was interviewed about the story, and my understanding is that he looked at the teenager in her great time of need, and something in his heart just made him decide he was going to try, and so he said the words, never forget, only for you. And so a short time later, Keith Jarrett went and sat down at the unplayable piano, and they recorded this, and this is what he began to play. Within moments, it became clear that something magical was happening. Keith avoided the upper register and all the broken keys. Because the piano was so quiet, he had to recreate the song with these huge repetitive riffs. And at one point, even standing in order to create enough force and volume to reach the people in the back row. And he played and he played 
and he played. And the recording of this, this experience is known as the Cologne Concert. And it is the best-selling piano album in history, as well as the best-selling solo jazz album in history. Keith Jarrett was handed a mess and he embraced that mess and it soared. So much of our lives are like those unplayable keys and that piano. We can tune and tune and tune and it will still never be what we thought it could. And this is terrifying for us, especially those of us who feel the master asking us to put his hands upon our lives. And you might be one of those people because I have been in that space and you might be saying, but I am so out of tune. My soul is so worn and weathered. My life is unplayable. It's just missing too many pieces. There's nothing you can do with this. The darkness is just too thick. But today I wanna share with you that God is waiting to hear the songs your life begs to bring forth and that by allowing God to embrace your life's messy and missing pieces, you are embracing your very deliverance. For, and I'll put this on the screen, even the most broken instrument can make beautiful music in the hands of a master. This is what the small and insignificant Lego piece in your hand is meant to represent. Like the adulterous woman who felt like she was living an unrepairable life, that single Lego represents all that God needs for the incredible life he wants to build with you, the song he wants to write with you. God is more than happy to make a masterpiece even with the most seemingly insignificant or unplayable stories, even with mine, even with yours. He wants to create, but you have to sit in that unplayable, thick, darkness place. You have to take your eyes off the stones that have been dropped around you, the legacy that has been poured before you, all the people who have said, you're only this or you're only that. You have a mentality in bondage. You are spiritually enslaved. You have to stop. I have to stop. We have to stop and come before God who wants to create something new and different. For he is still saying today, never forget only for you. And we have to decide to listen to the songs he wants to build with our lives. And I believe that's what he's offering. And I believe that's the hope that the gospel message is bringing to young and old, to you and me, to anybody else that will listen. And so our job, our job is to believe it, to apply it, and to ask him what next he wants to repair in my story, and yours. Yeah, amen. It's a sacred moment we're in right now. Um, I'm curious how it's gonna feel at home while somebody's laying in bed drinking coffee. I'm curious what God wants to do in your heart right now. So what I wanna do is uh, I just want to end this service just, just honoring that, whether here or at home. Have a conversation this week with somebody about what God is, is, is doing in your story and your heart. Have a conversation with him about all the obstacles and all the stones that you see around you. and Take a risk. 
Ask him to create something new and different that you've never experienced before. That's my hope for you, whether here or watching online. I love this church. I love that we're willing to do this all together. And I'm thankful we can, uh, we can experience it and that the spirit can move like he has tonight. Amen. Amen. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, you. Thank you for your story. Thank you for the way you impact us. Thank you for the way you, you breathe upon us. Thank you for the way that you use what we bring to make a masterpiece. We just rest in your presence, God, whether here or at home. And we thank you for the way that you love us, for your sacrifice, for your forgiveness, for your grace, and for being the masterful creator that you are. We just lift this entire evening and this morning up to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for coming, guys. God bless.